Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Also, I'm Brody Lancaster. I'm Kate Jinks. And BL, before I ask you what you have been up to, I need to compliment you on your new spectacles. Oh my God, thank you. They're Gucci. They're really nice. Who are my Harry Styles? Do you know what they are? What? They're chic. They are really fucking chic. As chic as a wind chime. I Googled Barbie Ferreira oversized circular glasses and every variation of those keywords so many times if you've seen her vogue 24 hours in my life video you get it and i found nothing of the sort but i went into a glasses shop and i just reached for the biggest ones they had well they look great on you thank you so much i really appreciate it on bobby ferreira there's news that she's not in euphoria but also we didn't mention in our nope spoiler special that she is in nope but only for like one scene. Jordan Peele and Sam Levinson both underusing Barbie Ferreira in 2022. And I don't like to see it. I don't either. I wanted there to be like a, um, this isn't a spoiler for Nope, but I wanted there to be kind of a moment where, you know, they're watching the security cameras. They realize that the guy, that angel, like is still looking at them on the security cameras. I was like, I kind of wanted Barbie to be doing that later in the film like yeah, why you, not? you realize the staff at the fries store are like obsessed with watching the security cameras too yeah that's great anyway jordan call me i guess <laughs> okay we've been talking for three seconds we've already referenced three things uh Beale, what have you been up to that's very classic us well we just had a really like super bumper long weekend in melbourne because of queen elizabeth and the football two equally important things <laughs> Mm-hmm. In actually one more important than the other, guess which? The footy was really boring, but I went to Cam's at the convent to watch it, had some delicious drinks, 
great seats to watch the game, the boring game. I left during the fourth quarter. It's a beautiful, sunny Saturday. And I was like, I don't want to be sitting here watching Geelong win a premiership. You know what I mean? Just because it was inevitable. It was really inevitable. It was this clunker of a game. I really like beating Geelong as a Richmond supporter. Mm. Maybe we cut this out. I don't know. Maybe people relate. People seem very happy for Geelong. Um, I don't care. Um, Yeah, you gave me your ticket to the Don't Worry Darling premiere last week. There was a vintage car out the front of the cinema, okay? And there was (laughs) uh, cast members from The Bachelor there. Love that. Conrad of Conrad and Abby no longer together fame. Uh, yeah, he was there. I went with my friend Sinead and her little sister Monica, with whom I have seen no fewer than three One Direction or Harry Styles solo concerts. So, like, perfect movie companions. Mm. And the movie is a fucking clunker, too, just like the football game I saw last week. I haven't seen it. <sighs> yeah. I will see it. There are previews this weekend. I'm so excited to talk about it with you. I feel like I just need to see this. That's the thing is like, I think people are going to don't worry, darling, being like, I'm going to go in and I think it could actually be good. Or I'm going to go in and see why it's so bad. I just went in and was like, I'm open. I'm open-minded about mm-hmm. this. And I came away being very closed off to it. Okay. We'll get to this. We'll get to it. Um, anyway, I saw Billie Eilish last night in concert. That's cool. That was much more satisfying. Um, the teen girls in the audience there had a lot more to experience than the ones going to see Don't Worry Darling. Yeah, it was incredible. The song Happier Than Ever was like really my soundtrack to lockdowns of 2021. Makes me want to mosh in a way nothing has since I was like 14 years old. And, um, look, I didn't get to mosh last night. Because you were in a fancy box. Because I was in, like, a what is it, a corporate box at the back <laughs> of the stadium. So all my photos look like I had really bad seats, but I had quite good seats, actually. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was an incredible show. Like, one tiny little girl on a massive stage, and she really, like, filled that space. And, like, it was really amazing to see. Yeah, I haven't been to a big, big show in I don't. Bigger than like the corner or or the forum or something. Hmm. This was like, it was wild. I mean, I haven't seen a big, like a concert in a really long time. And this was like, you know, it's production. There's like projections all over the stage. There's like video components. She's spins around in a freaking crane at one point, hmm. you know, confetti showering over everyone. All of that stuff was incredible. I don't think I've ever been to a stadium concert I just realized wait because when I was trying to think of like a big thing it's like well I, I just don't know. put my paper down I'm so stunned <laughs> really yeah I don't think I've didn't you what was your first concert at an entertainment center again yeah that was so- REM at the entertainment center I've yeah. been to lots of stuff at like an entertainment mm. center or a mm. bowl or the opera house okay but like not I've been to heaps of big shows at the opera house but Nothing with like a, not a stadium. You yeah okay. Well, I'm trying to think of when we should go to one because like I've seen Nicki Minaj. That was fun. Beyonce, Drake, One Direction. You've got to see like a big American pop star. I think. I think so too. Yeah, I've seen Solange a few times, but she's inside the Opera House. You I've, know, I've seen Solange a few times too. It's different. 
Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, it needs she to be does, like a she, big pop. She does that show in the middle of the Guggenheim. It's not the same thing, you know? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to relate no, here, I mean, Bia. No, I mean, I need you to see like a big <laughs> pop extravaganza. Yeah, I want to see that. Okay, yeah. well, when there's something. Well, maybe we should go to Harry Styles together. I don't think that the, I don't think no? that's okay. I don't think that I would be the best company for you um, at a Harry Styles show. Jinxie, there's two nights. I'm not you're not going to be my only night at Harry Styles. Come on. <laughs> you're my second night. Of course, when you've seen it all. It's for you and not for me. <laughs> right, I'll consider, I'll consider. Yeah, I don't need you seeing the side of me that you would see going into that concert fresh. <laughs> Depends what accent he's doing that night, I suppose. Oh my god, who freaking knows? Um, how about you? You've had a busy last time we spoke you were just uh driven 17 hours 19 19 sorry uh but who's counting um yeah i drove them back as well so i did drive back across the borders again um how does top chef go in the car he's really he's fine he just goes to sleep you know uh, I kept him company with some audiobooks this time. We listened to David Sedaris reading Happy Go Lucky, his new book, oh, which is always, I mean, like nothing more delightful, right? There's no better way to experience a David Sedaris book. It's the only way. Yeah. Uh, and then we listened to Diane Keaton reading Slouching Towards Bethlehem by Joan Didion, which uh, oh wow, is very good. I just I did what I do in this like Kate Jinks Netflix or Stan or any <laughs> streaming channel, just Googling Diane Keaton when I can't think of anything to watch. <laughs> and then I did the same thing in the audiobook world, and uh, that's what came out. And I was like, that there's I can't think of much better than that. That ticks a lot of boxes. Mm, yeah. So that was really good. Um, I took a little trip last week. To Castlemaine, place I'd never been to before. Lovely. And uh, it was really sweet. Rented a little stone cottage and built some fires and it was just me and Top Chef. It was really sweet. But I did go there to do writing, quote unquote. You know, I had some ideas. I've got this project that I'm working on. I didn't do any writing. Yeah. Did nothing. I think if I do the same, like a kind of getaway, I would have the same aspirations, but I would be on my phone the entire time just talking about how nice the place I'm staying in is or talking about what I'm going to do and then not doing any of it. Yeah, I was essentially taking glamour shots of my dog. Well, they know? looked great. Yeah, he loved to pose in front of the fire. What can I say? But He's a country baby. He's a country baby. But, yeah, I, I just – I don't know. I, I always think of this David Lynch quote um, from – Catching the Big Fish. I don't know if you've ever read that. The audiobook of that mm. is really good. But he said, if you want to get one hour of good painting in, I'm not going to do the David Lynch voice, by the way, but you would, but I <laughs> I, I just don't think I could do it. I don't know that I could. I don't know that I have it in my bank. Anyway, we'll work up to that. Yeah. But if you want to get one hour of good painting in, you have to have four hours of uninterrupted time. It's very true. Mm. It's like that Helen Garner quote about like, I think it's used in the context of like funding the arts where it's like if you look at a writer spending their time, they're like wandering around listening to people looking at things, 
but that's like the time that needs to happen before any of the writing can. Yeah, truly. Yeah. That's what I told myself as I was walking around the mm. Castle Maine Botanic Gardens three times a day with my dog. Yeah. You're working. Exactly. That was not the writing that I needed to get done, but I was thinking, you know, it's the same thing. You needed to like give your brain a little break. I think, yeah. Too. Give it a bath. Mm. <laughs> um, and I came back to the big smoke and I watched all of Heartbreak High. Have you watched it yet? I haven't started it yet, but I've been like eager. I think I might start it when you go home tonight. Yeah, I think you will enjoy it. You know, there are Eshe's drinking kombucha, all that kind of stuff that you'd need from an updated (laughs) teenage show. A classic trope. A classic trope. All right, well, I'm excited to talk about it really soon. Yeah, the cast is great. The cast is really, really good. Mm. Uniformly, very good. Um, What else? I've been reading the new Sophie Cunningham book this Devastating Fever, mm-hmm. which is kind of about a writer trying to write. Oh, boy. Um, and struggling with that. and But writing this book about Leonard Wolfe and the Bloomsbury set. And it's great. I'm really enjoying it. It's so nice to have a book after my struggles with uh, Lapvona. Yeah, it's really nice to be, like, deeply involved. Yeah, I haven't found one of those in a while. I, like, have started, I think, three different books this month. And I've just picked up Made for Love after watching the TV series. I was like, I know what's going to happen, but I need something to invest in. So mm. that's a good wreck for the Sophie Cunningham one. Speaking of country babies, I watched <laughs> Baby Boom at your recommendation. Uh. But then I also, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to spoil anything to say why I watched this particular movie. But when I came home from the grand final early and ordered takeout and watched a movie at home, the movie that I watched was... M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Which I had literally no reference for. Didn't see it when it came out. Had somehow avoided all spoilers for it. But I heard it referenced like two or three times in the past week. And so I was like, the universe is pointing me towards M. Night. And did you enjoy? Um, I thought, I mean, the cast is phenomenal like William Hurt Bryce Dallas Howard Joaquin Phoenix such a of course he's like the hunk of like this small town not sure about Adrian Brody but look a lot of it seemed very familiar like I feel like I must have seen it referenced or like jokes about it or perhaps lots of other references to it in my life because It all, like, even, like, the spooky monsters from the woods. I was like, I've seen these guys before. Mm, Yeah. He's got a new film coming out very soon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Speaking of spooky things coming out soon, did you see that Naomi Watts and Bobby Cannavale have just been announced? Or there's, like, a teaser that's just come out of them in a film adaptation of that New York mag article, The Watcher? It was a few years ago, so spooky about this family who moved into like a suburban home and started getting letters from the person who said they were watching them. Chills, BL, chills. I'm experiencing chills. That article was terrifying. So fucking eerie. Oh, it's like the one about that woman who realized that there was someone living in her ceiling. No, I don't. No, I don't. No, sorry. That's it. The end. <laughs> okay. That's, I don't know if I can see, of course I will see that film. I'm really looking forward I'm to really, it. But, uh, I'm really looking forward to feeling so fucking creeped out. Yeah. We need to see that in a cinema together. Creeped out and horny. Honestly, Bobby Cannavale <laughs> and Naomi Watts. <laughs> what a combo. What a combo. 
Okay, one show has returned after I don't know how long it feels like it was on last week, though. Yeah. It feels <laughs> like it's never, never left. Yeah, but we've never discussed it here on Sea Also. Well, today's the freaking day, babe. Time <sighs> to talk about The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, so The Handmaid's Tale is back. By the time this episode comes out, four episodes of season five will be out. I've seen the first three. Yeah. Have you started watching? Yeah, I did the first three over over the weekend. What a fun way to spend my time. Yeah, why are we? Because, uh, look, you can hear it We're in our both, voices. We're both like, yeah. We're like, apath- I think we we went in apathetic and mm. we came out being like kind of exhausted by it. Like it's a weary show to watch these days. Yeah, it is. And it always was, obviously. It's not. It's, it's never, never been, been fun. It's never been entertainment, but it was the world of 2017 when it premiered was obviously very different. First year of the Trump administration, we were watching these images of like women being repressed, women finding ways to rebel. And it was also visualizing so much of this world that Margaret Atwood obviously created in the book. And that book ended on, you know, a moment of like suspension um, that the show kind of promised to keep going away from. And I think the further it's gone away from the original source material, the more it's just felt like a hamster on a wheel. Like how long can we keep watching this same stuff and keep feeling the same amount of horror or enthusiasm or like you go girl June, you know? Yeah, I agree. It's like, I am dragging my weary bones across this show (laughs) at this point. It is it's still as relentless as ever. Mm. And the problem I think with it for me is that I really cared about this show. I really cared about these characters mm. for, I would say the first three seasons Four, I was a bit like, mm, I don't know. Yeah. But like, why does she just keep going? She just keeps going back to Gilead. Just get out of Gilead, babe. That's like the core problem of the show, right? Is that Gilead is where all the action is. It's where like the aesthetics of the show are as well. So, I mean, if you haven't watched season four, like I guess spoilers, but it's been out for a while, but June, our central character played by Elizabeth Moss, like escapes from Gilead, reunites with her husband in Canada and the other escaped women, all that she helped free all these children. She has like contacts back inside Gilead, her officer, whatever they're called, the men who like rape them and take control of their lives. Commander. Commander, that's right, is like in custody and then eventually is dead. So it's kind of like, okay, what's the the big bad now, I guess, is just like the system. But she's defeated the system so many times by this point. But it's like her goal now is just to get her child out, which is a massive goal but it's also like we've just it feels inevitable that she's going to go back in Mm, she has to yeah but the show is just the show is obsessed with her like she she and the show both suffer from (sighs) a case of terminal uniqueness (laughs) where they're just like it's you're watching and you're like well june's not gonna die like she escapes every situation every scenario she's like the special one Mm -hmm. and so it's kind of like all the like I don't know, the guts have been kind of pulled out of it a bit, I think. Yeah, I I agree. Yeah, I used to feel quite 
I don't know, stirred by this show, I think. And it was that kind Mm -hmm. of anger was really brewing and there was a lot of momentum in different movements um, and activist movements around the world. And now everything feels (laughs) so fucking dark. Mm. Of course, the overturning of Roe v. Wade in the States. Mm -hmm. It's a desolate kind of show. I'm not saying like I need to watch Eshe's having kombuchas all the time. Like, save it for a special occasion. I have multitudes, you know, I contain multitudes. But I found myself watching these first three episodes of the new season thinking, like, what is this writer's room like? Like, how how are they still coming up with ideas? There was that big profile on Elizabeth Moss in The New Yorker a while ago. I think she's kind of, like, running a lot of, mm. like, directing a lot no, she's now. directing a lot. I Googled, when is The Handmaid's Tale going to end? <laughs> Which oh. is the headline of many, many articles, and it's been renewed for another season, which will be the final one, but it feels like too, too many. That's too many. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel like it's free and out. (laughs) Like let her out. Let her out. I know. I just, um, and like the Serena Waterford line is just like, she's becoming the new big bad. And I mean, she always was obviously, Mm. but she is kind of gaining this kind of power and obviously taking it into Canada and, you know, turning Canadians against, the liberal politics of the country. Mm. I don't know. It's just, I'm just a bit, I just, I just feel done. But in the same way, I know I'm probably just going to keep watching it. I'm going to probably check back in like every month and watch whatever episodes I haven't seen yet. Mm. It's all on SBS every week. I feel like one thing that really struck me watching these first few episodes and struck me in like, not, not the way I usually use the word, but like, the aesthetics of the show feel so, I don't know. I think they used to feel really, um, creative, like really beautiful, creative choices. Whereas now that so much of the show is taking place in Canada, it has a really muted, like beige palette. The color grading is still the same as it was in Gilead in 2017. Yeah. And that color grading feels so 2017 to me. Like if that year had a, had a look, <laughs> it would be The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, truly. Um, it's, it feels like a bad Instagram filter from like 2013 <laughs> even. And also like the, the Handmaid's Tale aesthetics now. I mean, was it Kylie Jenner who wore like a sexy handmade Halloween costume a few? It's just like, nah, I'm done. I don't want to fucking see those white bonnets anymore. Let the girls out. We're seeing purple uniforms now. What does purple mean? It means she's fucking ripe. She got her period. That's what it means. It's not like the fucking commanders aren't that creative. Come on. I know. It's not like we're at purple day in Handmaid's Tale. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The the people in Gilead wearing purple are just really pro LGBTQ. (laughs) I'm really sick of Elizabeth Moss's constant, like the close-ups of her face where she's just looking really either distressed or determined. She has like two modes and I am so sick of those lingering. A woman's work plays in the background and you're like fucking needle drop, babe. And Samira Wiley doesn't get enough to do. I am sad that Alexis Bledel is not in it anymore. And that Claire Duvall is just like left with this fucking son. That single lesbian mom. I know. 
She's been through a lot. Get on Lex, babe. Get on Lex. <laughs> you do great. You do really fucking great. Yeah, the show, I think, assumes that we're all obsessed with Elizabeth Moss. Yeah, I'm not anymore. And I think that, I never that was. Shining Girls show did it in as well because mm. it was kind of like the same thing. I'm not I didn't a- finish it. Yeah. So I can't, I can't say that with great determination, but I did and I'll stick with them. Yeah. I'm not obsessed with Elizabeth Moss. Who am I? Alex Ross Perry? <laughs> good gag. I think I've made it it's before. Pretty good. You're pretty good. I think I've made it on the podcast before. Um, what else did I have write in my notes? The show feels horny for the aesthetics of Gilead. I just want it to end LOL. Yeah. I started with <laughs> when will this fucking show end? Free us. Free yeah. the girls. I've got to see also for it, though. Gimme. Uh, Olivia Lang wrote a great piece that was published, I'm not sure, I think maybe in the Times in the UK, but it was republished here in The Age and SMH. Uh, it's called Enough with Dystopian Stories, We Need More Hope and Less Gloom. And it sort of touches on her like scholarship of utopian communities and different ideas about freedom from her latest book, Everybody. But it also looks at a few kind of shows that are currently on at the moment. One of them that is briefly touched on is Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, I loved that. That It opens with just that really striking photo of like new growth after a bushfire, Mm. which is so gorge. Yeah. And I'm not saying that we need just full happiness. My God. Yeah, like The Handmaid's Tale, its hypothesis is kind of played out at this point, you know? Patriarchy bad. Patriarchy bad. We get it. I was listening to this. I was going to speak about it kind of like subtly and not name it, but I was listening to the podcast The Watch a few years ago. Andy Greenwald and uh, Chris Ryan, um, two TV critics then from The Ringer, And I think it was the start of season two of Handmaid's Tale, which is the one where, if you recall, a bunch of women, including June, are let out through what you soon realize is like an old soccer pitch. And people are watching as they're like walked up and you think they're about to all be hanged. Um, And then they're not because June never nothing's never going to happen to that little girl, Mm -hmm. Um, that little lady. I remember listening to this episode of their podcast where they were kind of talking about how I just can't, they were like, I just can't do this show anymore. It's too bleak. It's too dark. I just don't want to watch this much torture. And at the time I was so outraged. I was like, two fucking men, like look, look this horror in the eyes. Why don't you, what, it's too much for you? Like I just had this really bizarre reaction to it. Unsubscribe from the podcast. I like... It was like in protest of them not wanting to watch women being tortured as if like I was like, and I dared, I dared to look this story in the face. I dared to go to Gilead every week. And that's feminism, fellas. And now I'm just like, fucking, they saved themselves a lot of time. (laughs) I've resubscribed to the podcast. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I will, I will continue. I feel like. I've been with this story for so long. I need to see it through, but um, it's become instead of a show that I would watch like as soon as it came out. It's now on in the background if when I'm cooking. If mm. like I've already watched the latest episode of the block, you know. Yes, I'm not reading the recaps every week. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So we've got a little bit of a theme running through the stuff we're chatting about this week, Jinxie. It's bleak dystopia. Bleak dystopia and like women in the midst of like medieval scenarios and systems. Yeah, patriarchy bad. Patriarchy bad, young girls, cool. Um, Which brings us to Lena Dunham's third film, Catherine Called Birdie, her second film in a year. It's just about to come out on Amazon Prime and it premiered at, was it TIFF? Yeah, I think it premiered at TIFF like last week. It's set in the 13th century and it follows a young girl called Birdie, played by Bella Ramsey, the like mean little warrior girl from Game of Thrones, if that's um, up your street. And it's adapted from a 1994 historical YA fiction novel by Karen Cushman, It's a feature film, but it feels like little vignettes or moments of this young girl's life as her father, played by the hot priest from Fleabag. He's really good. He's so a comedy genius. He's very good in this. They're trying to follow like the rules of the time, which is to marry the young women off in exchange for money. And, um, and Birdie's just like a little, Wheatsy back kind of punk girl who wants to like spit and roll around in the mud and she's fighting against that desire of her father that's that's pretty much it and it's really fun and really sweet what did you think of it I really enjoyed it yeah yeah I didn't love Sharp Stick um Lena's other film that uh, I saw at Sundance. I guess there are connections between them, but they have such different stories. I wasn't familiar with the book of this. I had never neither. heard of it. And it was a labour of love for Lena Dunham. She'd been trying to get it made for like 10 years. She really loved it when the book, when it first came out and no one would basically let her make this film about a medieval tween, essentially, who gets her period. Like that's the that's yeah. the film, it's and like I'm guessing the book. My girl, but the twelve hundreds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, the New York Times called it "Ye Oldie Ladybird," uh-huh. and <laughs> Guardian called her called it a thirteenth century eighth grade. Yeah. I thought they were both pretty on the money with yeah. that. But yeah, I really, en- I really enjoyed it. It was such a sweet watch and it was, you know, it had like pulled its punches about, you know, growing up in this extremely like repressive society where the women are kind of married off, you know, like chattel and as soon as they hit menstruation and they don't have a choice in their lives and they're just kind of like breeding machines like her mother played by Billy Piper iconic so good she's got a crush on her uncle played by Joe boring Taylor Swift boyfriend Alwyn 
He's better in this than I have seen him in almost anything else. He's very lively. Yeah, I went in going like, oh, God, no, because he's so wooden in uh, Stars at Noon, the latest Claire Denis film. Mm. Really good film. I really loved it, but his performance is just so bad. Mm. So I was on edge about him being in this movie and uh, need not be. He was quite sweet. Maybe he works best in like olden times. Like he was fun in The Favourite. He had like a bit of spring in his step in The Favourite. And also he allegedly has been like writing some of those songs on Folklore and Evermore, which feel very like ye oldie timey in their aesthetic. So maybe he's just time traveler yeah i mean he was quite good in the souvenir part too also mm. a period piece hey this is a theory jinxie <laughs> not we- as much a period piece as Catherine called birdie which is <laughs> literally about a period truly a period piece i just thought it was a really kind of lively playful film that i kind of wish i had seen when i was 14 i had the same feeling i was like if i had if this had come out 20 years ago i would have grown up with this movie yeah and it's like it's really kind of treading old material you know like we've seen this before we saw it in disney's brave but um it's quite similar in i've never seen brave but i get the vibe it's really cute i like there's like an era of disney and i guess like animation-y dreamworks-y movies that i missed because I got a little bit older mm-hmm. I only watched Mulan like last year or the year before for the first time yeah they're good um never seen Ratatouille <laughs> sorry what was that movie again Ratatouille <laughs> oui oui uh, I, I watched it in Paris <laughs> Oh, wee oui, wee. Oui. <laughs> uh, but yeah, look, it, it treads kind of, you know, ground that we've all stepped on. Um, but it is, it's just a really kind of fun adaptation of, of this obviously beloved book of Lena Dunham's. You can tell she's having a great time making it. And you can tell that the cast are having a fucking ball on set because it is, just, just really kind of sweet, playful film that touches on, you know, like some really heavy subjects. Like there is, you know, the loss of a child, the loss of parents, um, just like grim things are happening everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's the fucking 13th century. Mm. And yet it feels, I don't know, there's like a real heart to it. Yeah. There's also like a lot of color in it too. Um, like the opposite of modern day Canada in the handmaid's tale. It's like full of drenched in color. I was listening to Lena Dunham on the little gold men podcast, the vanity fair, like award season podcast. And she was talking about how kind of history and like medieval historians kind of talk about, I also don't know if I'm using the word medieval. Is that this period? Yes, I don't medieval. Know. Okay. Medieval historians kind of talk about how um, we have this kind of, grayed out like sepia toned image of this time but there were you know luxurious vivid bright colors and you see it from the very first opening scenes of birdie like runs up the stairs of her home and there's like red tapestries and bright yellow silks and it's just drenched in color it's really playful the sun is shining birdie's a fucking little menace it's really, really fun. I highly recommend. Yeah. I also recommend, I have a seat also, which is Lena Dunham talking about it on How Long Gone, a podcast that we've mentioned in the past. 
Um, it was around Christmas time that she was on. You can tell that she's a big fan of the podcast and wants to impress the cool guys on the podcast. And it was, I had like such a weird experience of listening to this episode. I was like driving home in a rental car, almost out of fuel, stuck in a traffic jam in the baking hot sun in like a Wi-Fi or like a no um, reception block. A dead zone. A dead zone. Thank you. So I'd been listening to this combo about her describing making Catherine called Birdie and then my phone just dropped out and I'm sitting there for like two hours with no music, nothing on, couldn't use my phone in case it died, etc watching my fuel gauge go down. And then I knew that I had crept forward enough to be back in out of the dead zone because I just heard Lena Dunham's voice spring into the stereo going, and she gets her period. (laughs) And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. (laughs) After hours of silence. (laughs) So yeah, that's a really fun podcast on how long gone. (laughs) Um, I've got a see also podcast as well. It's actually... Uh, see also from you that was a see also from our mutual pal EY. Oh, yeah. Uh, it is Lena Dunham on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso. So you recommended uh, this great episode with um, Abby Jacobson talking about A League of Their Own, mm-hmm. which I devoured. It was such a great. Isn't he so good? He's so good. But also when you when I first started listening, I was like, well, I don't know that I can do this. He's got this intense American podcast voice where mm-hmm. like. Oh, this is a this is a thing, and uh, he seems really self serious when you first start listening. Right? Yeah, I really yeah. felt just like, oh my god, I know this guy. I've met this guy. I've mm-hmm. been at parties with this goddamn guy in you know Williamsburg in two thousand and four. Yeah. <laughs> and then he starts asking these great questions and pulling out so much information from his guests. Like he goes really deep with the research, really deep, and they really enjoy it. They all seem to be having. Everyone cries. Yeah, and they we described cry. it as, to me as kind of like a fresh air, like Nadwa. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, like he digs stuff out. Mm. Um, yeah, Lena Dunham was so good on that. And she, for all the kind of like skeptics or um, non-fans of Lena Dunham, she never shies away from talking about her kind of the controversial moments in her career, which I really respect now that she's like, she's kind of on the press cycle for Catherine called birdie. She's been described as kind of like disappearing for the last five years. And obviously when she does reappear, she's speaking about like dealing with chronic pain and, and, or getting married as she did last year. And there's a great profile of her in the guardian recently talking about like going to rehab and taking time out from like being famous, I guess. And she just, she really does give such great quote that I, I couldn't help but think like how great it would be to just like have a recorder running during an interview because my God, I've had some stinkers of people who just like can't say anything. Mm -hmm. You've got to find a profile out of it, you know, dig something (laughs) out. And she had this one line where she said, the fact that in order to write about a movie of mine, there have to be three paragraphs disseminating my history is not my life stream. And she's a filmmaker, you know, she started with tiny furniture and 10 years later, she's back with two films. Mm. Um, and it really feels like she's, she has less to prove now, I think, and feels, feels compelled to kind of just make stories that she cares about. Also on Little Gold Men, she spoke really openly about Catherine called Birdie has a happy ending. And when she was younger, she thought that happy endings were kind of like a cop out. Whereas now that she's gotten older and she's lived a bit more, she's like, oh no, it's really, 
it's like quite a quite a good thing to to wrap something up nicely and mm. give people a pleasant experience <laughs> yeah it's uh yeah I, I i read that article and i mm. also enjoy her podcast with elizabeth at the c word that has just come back uh there's a new season that's just dropped the first couple of episodes are about Lindsay lohan i've never listened oh you will enjoy i will yeah okay From 13th century England on to 19th century Macedonia, we're staying with, like, women in the fields here. (laughs) (laughs) Women be fielding. (laughs) Uh, Goran Stalewski's new film is just out at the cinemas now. It's called You Won't Be Alone. It had its world premiere at Sundance earlier this year where it premiered to rapturous five-star reviews and uh, it's... I'm really excited that it is in actually in cinemas in Australia now. Oh, me too. I mean, I saw his film of an age at Miff opening night and Jinxie, you had told me that it's like this wonder of like an Australian film. And I went in knowing nothing and came out going, who is this guy? What has he done? What else can I see? I didn't get a chance to see You Won't Be Alone at the festival, but uh, I went and saw it at the cinema. I went and saw it at Cinema Nova on the weekend and Oh my God. I think reviews have described it as spellbinding and it truly is like, it's a beautiful film. Mm, Yeah, it is really beautiful. And these two films of his could not be more different. Like, of course you can find similarities. They're both films like of an age and you won't be alone. Both films are essentially about outsiders and people trying to understand different societies. And you know, like you can, you can get there. You could get there, but one is about like, teenagers in suburban Melbourne in 1999 and the other one is about a shape-shifting witch-cursed girl in 19th century Macedonia entirely subtitled in Macedonian and it's a completely fucking different story but (laughs) his perspective I mean I don't I can't pin him down but he, I don't want to. Like, I, I would just want, I'm now like, I'll go wherever Goran wants to take me. Yeah, I mean, he's already shot his next film. It's just a thrill to see this director being able to make all these films and actually be kind of mm. funded to, you know, to some extent to make these films that are just really different kinds of movies that are being made from like partly from Australian funding bodies, you know, like totally, (laughs) this is not what we normally see. This is not like when you think of Australian cinema, you do not think of you won't be alone. No. So it's about, uh, as you said about this shape-shifting witch, (laughs) that's where you got to start. right? Yeah. That's, that's her. She's, um, it's kind of been marked by, uh, a witch, as a baby who kind of comes to collect and learns the way of the witch, I suppose, in like a very um, unfriendly and gory uh, initiation where she learns the, the how to assume someone else's flesh and live in other bodies. And that's kind of where the magic of this film comes from too. It's, it's a folk horror. It's kind of body horror. I've seen people evoke like Julia Ducourneau's films, Raw and Tatan when talking about it, which is not a reach, very bloody, very gory. There were many moments in the cinema where, you know, you hear everyone kind of 
<laughs> some gross out shit but it's also like a fucking beautiful film the cinematography the countryside it was shot in serbia i believe yeah it's just beautiful it's gorgeous and the score by mark bradshaw is great it is sort of not the score you would expect with this kind of mm. Oh, quote unquote elevated horror. Film. Elevated horror, oh. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really it's really luscious, this score. Yeah. So yeah, there's this the witch is has been hidden away from when she was a baby to when she is the witch that we mainly follow. Nevena. Nevena. Uh, from when she was a baby to when she's sixteen. And so she really has no idea of human society, of outside life. She's mute. She has very little way of communicating with anybody. And so when she is able to, when she learns the way of the witch, which is to assume other people's bodies or possess them in a way, Mm -hmm. she uses that to learn about society and about humans and about like emotional connections Mm -hmm. and also about like tragedy and pain and grief and love. And and she has really hideous experiences and really wonderful experiences Mm -hmm. and the wolf eateress or old maid Maria the witch that turned her into a witch she kind of keeps popping back up and being quite irritated that Navina has embedded herself within any kind of society yeah like old maid Maria we learn as the film goes on and I believe that the film is entirely an invention of Goran Stalewski's, but this like idea of a wolf eater is kind of like a folk tale that he, he took the name from in the film. But yeah, she, I mean, she was kind of cursed through like the cruelty of people. And so when she passes that curse along to Nevena, her approach means that she's sees the best and the worst in people and old maid Maria can't really cope with that. She's quite jealous and she has been socialized to see the worst in people because they've shown her the worst of themselves Mm. and Nevena gets a a bit of a different experience in some ways. Yeah. The cast is great. (sighs) Numira Pace is very good. She kind of has this role where she is this kind of more like a traditional woman almost yeah but when she is possessed she kind of has to take on this very kind of bodily like the performance is Um, extremely like in her body really physical yeah Yeah, really physical role yeah she's learning to kind of like mimic and mirror people yeah and um one of the people that plays well that nevena possesses is a man um kaloda kota uh, who's been in a number of miguel gomez films i noticed i loved that whole mm. I don't I don't want to say really too much about it but of course of course if you're a witch you're gonna if you're, you're gonna a gender switch yeah. I mean if, duh. You, if you're a witch who's been brought up outside of humanity like imagine what happens when that person possesses the body of like a freaking hunk Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. very cool shit to watch. These actors, <laughs> these performances are all phenomenal. Yeah. She's also inside a dog at one point and that little mountain dog seems really happy. A friend, of, say. a friend of mine texted to ask if I'd seen it and I was like, yeah, I loved it. And he said, yeah, me too. I wanted more dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't want the I didn't want any animals to be hurt by any witchy poos, but yeah, the dog scenes were really lovely. Yeah. And Alice Englert 
is great in this. She has quite a sustained role mm. in the film. What is she? What has she done before? I'm not sure if I'm familiar with her. She was in Top of the Lake. She was um, in... Yes. What was that American film? Did I see it with you? And it was about that rattlesnake faith in, like, the Appalachian wilderness. Oh, I never saw it, but I believe we talked about it. She's in that. She's Jane Campion's daughter. Is she really? She, she is. Oh, well, she's great. She plays Bilia. It's a great role. An exceptional role. Once you realize what's happening with that character and what Nevena is kind of doing with that possession, it's really kind of like wrenching and beautiful. Mm. This kind of like physical vehicle for like her emotional redemption. Yeah. Speaking of uh, physical vehicles, I love the retractable claws that oh. you get on, upon being transformed into a witch. And where do I get those? You get these big black wooden fucking tusks coming out of your fingers. I love them. I want them. You loved them. Yeah. Kay. How exciting. They seemed scary to me and she seemed scared to have them. As someone who doesn't get their nails done, I want those retractable. Cl- I would, I'd investigate that world, the manicure world. Carol's got some. You can ask her what, the, what her retractable claws are. I will on the way out. <laughs> Carol's my cat if you're a new listener. <laughs> there was a really great interview that I listened to with Jason DeRosso on the ABC um, where he kind of described like the Carlotta Cotta role as, you know, he's playing a, a strutting village hunk rendered meek and dumbfounded after he's possessed, which I really, really loved. Mm. And in that interview, Goran Solevsky also describes the, the Macedonian folk tale and the idea of that wolf eater, which being kind of an all purpose boogeyman, like it wasn't in the folktale, it wasn't necessarily a witch. It wasn't necessarily like a spirit or any of our like Halloween all stars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that interview too. He did a nice interview uh, or Michael Sun did a great interview with him in the guardian actually too, which we can link to. Love that. And if you want more Goran Stalevsky before of an age comes out, I don't have the release date of that one yet. You can see his Sundance winning short film from 2018. If you have criterion channel, it's on that it's called would you look at her or you can rent it for like two dollars or something on vimeo oh uh, it's like a 18 minute film and it stars sarah klamoska who plays the main nevena in you won't be alone oh she's phenomenal she's great she's australian no she is macedonian gotcha <laughs> goran hive goran hive rise we eaten flesh <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it's time for also also is the part of the episode where we recommend things that we've been enjoying and may not have anything to do with anything else we've mentioned the whole episode. Just stuff we like. Just stuff we like. Deal with it. Wild concept. <laughs> What's your first one? My first one is a tofu also. Um <laughs> Uh, I finally got a chance to go to uh, the new shop front for Tofu Shoten, which if you ever tried their handmade tofu when they were selling it out of the Cafe Kind in Brunswick, you will know that it is delicious, fresh, handmade tofu. So it's not a handmaid's tale. It's a handmaid's tofu. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I'm so sorry. It's a handmaid's tofu. And uh, it's... 
delish. It, they have a new storefront um, right near the Queen Vic Markets in Melbourne and highly recommend that silken tofu. Don't do anything to it. Just like a bit of seasoning on top. Eat it with some rice. Yum. The founder of this uh, shop kind of moved to Melbourne from Japan, was like the tofu sucks, went back to Japan, learned how to make it the traditional way and is now making like the most delicious delicious tofu you've ever eaten in your life. I need to go there. Yeah, you do. It's really like unreal. There's also kind of like tofu. I don't know if it's byproducts is the word. They sell soy milk. They sell Yuba. Maybe they've got fried tofu puffs. They've got um, biscuit, like really savory, intensely savory, like sandwich cookies made out of soy. Really, really highly recommend go early because apparently they sell out very often. Mm. Oh, and chili oil. I bought some really yummy chili oil. Great. What's your first also? Mine is a pod also. It's called Death of an Artist. It's just come out and it's coming out weekly. So only the first, I think, three episodes are out at the moment. It's a podcast made by Helen Molesworth, who's an author and curator. She's a really interesting person. I think I follow have followed her on Instagram for a long time, and that's how I found out about it. She uh, was the ex-chief curator at MoCA in LA. She's been behind some really fantastic survey shows uh, like Kerry James Marshall's Mastery, a uh, really good Kathy Ope show. Uh, and she did one about um, Black Mountain College that I haven't seen, but I distorted the book. Anyway, she was fired from MoCA, uh, partly because she was being just so outspoken about the lack of diversity within the board, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, fascinating person in her own right. Mm -hmm. But this podcast is about Ana Mendieta, the Cuban-American artist who had made quite a lot of work involving kind of performance and using her own body quite a lot to comment on political moments. Her career was cut short when she quote unquote fell from a 34th floor window in Manhattan in uh, 1985 from an apartment that she shared with her husband, the very famous minimalist artist, Carl Andre, who, when he reported that she had died, you know, said that it was a quarrel. They'd had a quarrel, but then she fell, but he wasn't in the room. And there's been like a lot of mystery surrounding this event for, since the eighties. Uh, a lot of people very angry at the justice system for his acquittal and the belief long rumored belief that I guess he had something to do, had with, something it. To do with it. And a lot of people within that kind of heavy hitter art world community, particularly in, you know, the New York community or industry, a lot of people still just don't talk about it. Like it's sort of very much still brushed under the carpet. And so this is a truly investigative research into her death and also her life. And you get to hear more because I feel like I've read so much about Anna Mendieta and her work, but there's just so much about her adolescence and like coming to America and the why she was making all this kind of work that is just so interesting and so tragic. Anyway, it's a great, great podcast. Could not recommend it more if this is kind of sounding up your strata. What's it, what's it called again? It's called Death of an Artist. Mm. Sounds amazing. It's great. I don't know anything about – I've never heard of her before. You'll be fascinated and obsessed. Yeah, it sounds like it. 
are my two favorite things to be. I have a flower also. I recently read and started implementing the tips in uh, the recipe developer, internet personality, etc. Dan Pelosi, aka Grossi Pelosi's website. He has a blog post about keeping tulips fresher longer. And you know, if you if you get droopy freaking tulips that you paid a lot of money for, you'll have probably Googled like I have and people say, put some vodka in the vase, put a penny in the vase, all these things. Nah, he gives you the real advice, which is trim daily, replace the water daily. That's all you got to do. Spoiler alert, but there's more information in this blog post. Cold water. Cold water every day. Mm -hmm. I have a bunch of tulips out there that are on their last legs now, but I've had them for like 12 days and they're looking gorge. I trim my flowers Every day if I've got them in the house. I'm buying some floral shears because the using my kitchen scissors every day and then putting them in the dishwasher. <laughs> yeah, I use secateurs. I upgraded during mm. the um, garden show. <laughs> like, oh, oh, my God, God the garden I'm show. <sighs> that garden show has really done a number on you. I ordered a compost worm farm last week, BL. Did that, you? I, um, this is not a compost also yet, but who knows? Can we go to Bunnings together? Because yeah. I have I have to buy some plants. Do you need my lesbian access card? Yeah, and also your lesbian car. <laughs> <laughs> What's your next one? Uh, my next one is a watch also. It's a show that you and I, I know, have been enjoying, but there's only one episode out so far. It's Finding Jesus by Alexi Toliopoulos and Cameron James. Comedians, superstars. If you are not familiar with them, where have you been? But they've done two podcasts. First one was Finding Drago and then Finding Desperado. You need to listen to both of them immediately. How would we describe like comedy, investigation, pop culture, conspiracy podcasts? Yes. Like when you hear the premise of them, you're like, this is going to be an episode, isn't it? They're going to mm. come to the end of it. No, they no. go into really weird, deep, dark corners of the world and it is fascinating and oh, so funny. Mm -hmm. But this, thank God they've hit, I'd love to see them on screen with their bullet rig or whatever it's called, $60,000 bullet <laughs> they, rig. They use the Matrix camera it's for so their good. opening titles. It's so good. Um, and so this one is about who was really behind the Kanye West game, which was called Kanye Quest 3030, that came out in 2013. Mm -hmm. And uh, long have there been rumours, I, of course, was completely unaware of this, but apparently long have there been rumours that it was actually a tool for recruiting players into a cult who uh, practice ascensionism. And so they, are, Cameron and Alexi, are on a search to find out who is behind the game, whether there is a cult. It is so good. It's like cereal, eat your freaking heart out. Oh, truly, <laughs> truly. And the game, of course, was unlicensed and unauthorized, which is the best kind of thing to be investigating, right? Yeah, the most fun things are. It is really good. One Zoe Kimsmart has a bit of a cameo coming up in an episode. Does she? Yeah, if you're to the trailer, you can spot her. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that is great. It's on YouTube at the moment, um, but we'll have a link in our Instagram. So funny. That's Finding Jesus. 
My final one is a cook also. It's a recipe from Bon Appetit from a few years ago. It's by Molly Buzz, so it's from a few years ago. She doesn't work there anymore. She's got a great house renovation up on the internet. Anyway, side note, she did this recipe called Anything Goes Green Goddess Salad, where she essentially gives you like a basic recipe for green goddess dressing. So, you know, lots and lots of fresh herbs, lemon, anchovies, capers. I don't think she uses anchovies, but I threw them in mine whiz it all up in the blender and then she suggests you can put it on rotisserie chicken chickpeas like all matter of protein I chose like a shredded up chicken and then serve it like in the in the recipe she has like kind of a platter with like butter lettuce and some avocado slices lots of fresh lemon and then potato chips on the side. Mm-hmm. And um, I really highly recommend. I've been kind of having it with my toast. Like each morning I'll like pick apart a little bit of chicken, dress it in the dressing that I've got in the fridge and um, just like pile it bit by bit onto my toast with some lettuce and lemon juice. Really freaking yummy. Yum, yum, yum. Yeah. Feels nice eating lettuce for breakfast, you know? Hmm. Who is she? <laughs> little bunny rabbit over here <laughs> what's your last one Jinxie? my last one is also a cook also mm. but it's on the other scale of mm-hmm. things it's this one's more dessert than break i guess not if you've got a strong cup of coffee you're fine vegan brownies with a soy sauce butterscotch uh from tim anderson who cooks a lot of japanese he's known for cooking japanese vegan He's got a really good book out called Vegan Japanese. I know the name. I know that pained me to say it, but it is a very good cookbook. <laughs> is the hyphen after Japan? No, Easy? it's no, it's like capital J, capital E, but one word. Gotcha. Anyway, um, but there is a recipe online, which we'll link to. It's a really, I've tried a lot of vegan brownies and they never kind of get it right. They're always a bit too starchy or like not I don't know you want it to be a bit gooey you know like beetroot yeah yeah this doesn't have beetroot in it thank god I do use three blocks of lint chocolate in it though yeah that's why it tastes good that's why it's 70% dark Mm. you know there's the warning about making yeah it's like may contain whatever Uh, and I use a panna organic cacao powder in it which I highly recommend using that combination that is the best combination so far with this recipe and also take it out about five minutes before he says so in the recipe huh Mm, so it's gooey in the center actually the soy sauce in the butterscotch is so good it's Mm. salty and delicious learning to treat soy sauce as like a seasoning and not a sauce changed my life i Mm. grew up in regional queensland with a white family eating like wet stir fries and um now i know just replace the salt with a bit of soy Mm -hmm. yeah Thanks so much for listening to another episode of See Also. If you haven't yet, pop over to Apple Podcasts. We'll give you a sec to leave us a five-star review and rating for the podcast. We really enjoy reading them. Thank you to everyone who's left us a little review. You can follow us on Instagram at See Also Podcast and share this episode with your friends. Thanks so much to Samuel Hodge for our artwork and to Harvey Sutherland for our original theme music. See ya. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.